0: Hi, everyone. I'm Abby Feeder, Certified Life and Fertility Coach, and you're listening to The Fertility Chick. This show is all about the road to parenthood, which is almost never the same, and our guests' professional success along the way. We have an incredible guest with us today. Dr. Julian Escobar is a reproductive endocrinologist in Texas. He is a ray of positivity and hope and light. And I know that sometimes in the fertility world, positivity gets a bad rap and I get it. We are sometimes told and forced to feel like we have to be positive when it's barely possible. But he just brings so much hope to each of his patients. You can see it on his face. You can see it in the way he talks about them and to them. We get into so many incredible details about his life, how he ended up along this path, what it was like to be an immigrant and a gay teenager in Texas growing up. And what it was like to be a reproductive endocrinologist on the other side of a fertility journey when he and his partner chose the road to surrogacy. So I can't wait for you to hear his story. Here is Dr. Julian Escobar. I want to give you the warmest welcome to Dr. Julian Escobar, who I absolutely adore. We've only met IRL once. We shoved some cookies down at a conference together. But you're just such a light and such a wonderful human being with warmth. And I'm just so happy to have you here. And you have your own fertility story to tell. Yes. So welcome.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I love you. And the more we talk about fertility, the more it becomes normal, the more people can't just focus on their own journey, you know, and not on that's the right. world around us, you know?
0: Exactly. And we share, well, we don't share together, but we both have boy girl twins. Yes. So we'll get to that. Yours
1: are a little <laughs> bit older, I think.
0: Yours are a little bit older.
1: Or mine are older. I think
0: so. How old are yours?
1: Eight. Four and a half. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, dude. I'm still I in still it. So you're ahead see. of me. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. We'll get I'm, there. I'm glad you feel uh, a little bit ahead of me. <laughs> yes.
0: So I want to start. Well, first of all, I was going to tell this embarrassing story because it's such an example of what a gracious, wonderful human you are, which is that I we met because I moderated a panel that you were on. You were fantastic. And you were talking about surrogacy. Now, I was kind of, a oh, no, our panel moderator had to bail. We really need you. And so I came in at the last minute. And so I did not have time to do the research I would normally do on my people. And you messaged a surrogate, and I stupidly put my foot right in my mouth and said, What was it like for your wife when you were going through a surrogate and you were so gracious? You didn't skip a beat. You sort of casually changed the subject. And then Dr. Amy, who was also on the panel, is like furiously texting me. He's not married to a woman, you idiot. I mean, she didn't say it like that. (laughs) But I felt so silly because I try to be so sensitive to that part of this. But tell me about a little bit about your personal story.
1: Well, even if you'd done more research or your research, it would have been hard to see that because- I mean, this is my personal life, so I don't really put it out there because it's not like my a public figure, you know, what people have right. to know. But when it comes to the conversation, it comes to the conversation. And so I have a male partner, and that's what we have to do so And I feel still I had to get help to become a dad and, mm. and, and still... Going through IVF, through a fertility evaluation, through finding a donor, through finding a surrogate, through the legal, the psychological, and internal, financial, whatever conflicts you every person has, all the same. I mean, doing it every day doesn't, I mean, it helps you in some ways, but it doesn't help you in other ways. You know, and I was told by my partner, you're going to be a patient and you're not or my husband, I should say. Don't stress out the gynecologist or the OBGYN and, and don't be dictating to everyone. And, it's, and you know, I tried to be patient, you know, and it's, you know, but it's, it's a different journey for everyone. And so I do think it just made me a better doctor. I feel that I offer the tools to help people get pregnant and the medicine. And I think it's super cool and interesting. But I do, but, but I think the roadblocks that people have are not very much what I good at and I offer, I think, or other uh, REIs offer fertility doctors, I think. The roadblocks are going to be the personal struggle, the couple's struggle, the financial stuff, the time off, the uncertainty, you know, all of those things. And I do think I became a better physician by going through that same journey myself.
0: I have no doubt that you did. I have no doubt that you did. Because understanding what the longing feels like from the patient perspective is not necessarily something you can understand until you've gone through it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so, and you know, someone may say, well, you you did donor egg because you don't have a female partner or surrogacy and you're a physician, you know about it. But I'm like, still, like I grew up in a household where you decided to have a child and you didn't have to involve anyone else. And I, even when I just, even though I, I I was out to my parents, so I, I, that's why when he said that I wasn't bad, I've been probably in the closet most of my life, you know, through my training and everything else. And I was you
0: were well, you were in the
1: closet for all of that. Yeah, because I wow. you know, it, it, I'm an old guy, so it took me a while to figure it out. And once I figured it out, I hated myself for that. How do I change mm. it and it didn't really change? And then it's like I'm busy in medical school and in residency and. There's nothing much to say. It's not something, you know, that you had to put out there. You know, it was not relevant. And, but I did say to myself that whenever I had a partner, you know, I had to talk to my parents about it. And so yes. it didn't go so well, you know, as yeah. predicted. And you just have to build that up, you know. And then you can build up and we're all cool. But then we're ready to have children. And then my parents hadn't told Anyone in the family about myself, my husband, my relationship, and he was like, I was like, my kids are about to be bored. and I've hidden this uncomfortable thing for you guys for a while, but right now it's out the window, you know. It's so they have to go through it, you know, themselves and let the family know. And it's been a quite of a journey. We all have different journeys, you know. It's the it's it's if if the journey was just you, it's one thing, but it's me. It's my partner, it's the family, society, everything else, right? And, and I'll tell you, my, my first job told me, Julian, we want you to become a partner, but we we they had an offer partnership to anyone else, or he hadn't, and, and, and he's like, the only thing is you cannot treat people like you. I mean, so oh my god, well, so little, you know, I've heard it all before, and he's just crazy. So I was like, no, I can't. You know, this is a moral field. It's a field where I cannot have my personal views coming between myself and my patient all other physicians treat patients regardless of whatever you just treat your patient you know you isn't that
0: have- like part of your hippocratic oath
1: yes but in fertility that mm. that is uh, people do feel they have a magic wand you know i take it even if you have a lot of money if you're very accomplished if you need fertility you have to come to me i feel i have that magic wand and i do think there's still old timers and people that, feel judged. And that when I set up my own practice as the last thing I wanted to be, I worked in two different practices and I was like, I want to be a practice where my job is to responsibly help you build a family you want to build. I'm not an IVF doctor. I'm not about doing procedures. I'm about keeping your baby, not even just giving a baby, building your family. And so everyone has their own journey, you know? And if I started picking and choosing who should be a parent or not, I would have, I, I mean, it's, it, where do you draw the line? I mean, I've seen marriages fall apart during an IVF cycle, you know, yeah. and so just because someone's married doesn't mean, so we all have our own journey. Uh,
0: so I have so many questions about things. I wasn't even, I didn't anticipate talking to you and we don't have to get super into it about your coming out, but I'm just curious. First of all, where did you grow up? Colombia. Colombia. How and when did you move to the United States? Because recently you posted this amazing reel about all of your education it took to get you where you are, which is so insane. So bring us through all of those places, because I I loved every place you went, like had some kind of meaning. And I just want to talk, I just want you to talk about how you got there.
1: So I was born in Bogota, Colombia, when I was a year old, we moved to Cali you guys remember the Cali and Medellin cartel? That's where I live. That's where my last name comes from. And
0: yeah, I was wondering, any relation?
1: So uh, if you're wondering, yes, I'm Colombian in Escobar and I'm not related. as far as you know. <laughs> uh, but in 88, we left Colombia to Costa Rica. And then my dad got moved to the U.S., to Dallas, Texas, actually. And I started high school here and learned English here. I mean, I knew something English before, and I mean, high school is hard for everyone, right? And, and here I had extra layers of things, and so just kind of always knew I was going to be a do- wanted to be a doctor. I just knew I had to fight harder. So did that for two years. We moved to a, Chicago, so I lived in a suburb of Chicago and uh, finished high school there. And then uh, my parents moved to Athens, Georgia, and so I went to UGA. I had a full ride. So every two years we used to move. I had a full ride, and I hated myself for being able to get into Harvard and all these Ivy League schools and, and go to a, you know, like a state school. But I went for free, you know. and Which, I which is food.
0: really important, by the way. Like, and you bring up, you know, having geniuses at state schools helps the state school and helps you. So I feel like there's still, you know, it's like we want to be part of the solution too, you know.
1: You could be a, a, a big fish in a big pond or a big fish in a small pond. I mean, I don't know how you saying, but the point is, I worked in a lot of opportunities at the University of Georgia. They were all up there for grabs. And I finished in early three and a half years. I went to Harvard Medical School and did some research in uh, HIV vaccine development. And then I went to uh, the National Institute of Health and a Fellowship for a year and a half. And that was kind of my sabbatical where I got to live in Washington, D.C. and there's You're in your early 20s. There's a lot of self-discovery and it's such a diverse city with people from all over the world. It was awesome. And then after that, I went to medical school in Pittsburgh. And for a little bit, I moved to Rio de Janeiro and I did vaccine research again. And it was more about implementing a vaccine in there. And so that was super cool. It was a rotation within a big university in the, the section of infectious diseases. So obviously you get to see a lot of weird stuff in the topic. That was great. And so I had a thing for international health. And then I heard that OBGYN, I always thought it would be a surgeon. And I heard that OBGYN, the residents were not nice and were very hardcore females and for lack of a better word, <laughs> with a And then you smell the gradients. And so I was like, whatever, you know, I want to pl- do plastic surgery or urology and something like that. And I loved it. I adored OBGYN. And I expected nothing. And I hated myself for liking it. I just loved how deep you go with your patients, right? And like, like I knew I wanted to be a surgeon, but I wanted to have a me So like, if I take out your appendix, you have... It has no meaning but at an age uh, when you're young uh, you don't want to get pregnant and then you really want to get pregnant and that fall too is very important and the meaning the future is different and so it's all about even within the same person throughout the different stages of her life the conversations will vary and so I wanted to have that I wanted to have a meeting and then of course there's nothing with more craziness and drama. Uh, and choice and fertility. So then I decided to sub-specialize. And so first I started, so I did a rotation in fertility in Columbia. Um, I matched up Northwestern in Chicago, did uh, the match into fellowship uh, back in Dallas at UT Southwestern. And that's where I did my fertility training. And I thought I would move to a really Fancy city like Los Angeles or Miami or New York, right? 2011. And every one of you guys, like those states, were broke, you know, and there were yeah. no jobs. And so I was like, "Oh," and it, sometimes decisions are made for you, and it was the mm-hmm. best thing that ever happened to me, you, you know. Yeah. And I started in one uh, practice, like I mentioned, I. Didn't like how they were dictating to me how to treat patients, and so I moved to another practice. And things didn't go my way, or however I wanted to do things. Maybe two, three years into it, And I said, "Well, that's it." And if I need to create what I think I like, and create the service line that I think my patients need. And so that's that's when I opened the are. practice five years ago, and so it started with one little practice, and then now we have four practices about to open our fifth school conceive, conceive fertility center. So we, we were like, no one has taken that name. It's like no. Right? Right. I couldn't I couldn't was,
0: believe nobody took the fertility check. Not gonna lie. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean
1: like, why? You're like know, I, know, <laughs> you know I
0: love it. A- okay. Rewinding a little bit, when you moved to Texas for high school, did you know internally that you were gay at that point?
1: No, I was okay. fifteen. You're fifteen. Okay. I, mean, I don't okay. know. At fifteen, everyone has confusing thoughts. You know? Yeah. I mean, like my dad got moved. His company, Swiss company, moved them to to Dallas, Texas. And, and okay.
0: Because I'm just thinking, like, being an immigrant anywhere is challenging. Being an immigrant for high school is like an added pressure because high school is so hard. Like, were you also hiding or struggling with like, oh my God, I think I'm gay and I live in Dallas. And like, so it wasn't quite there yet in terms of what you were um,
1: I think the thoughts were there before. No one's ever asked me these questions. They're really interesting.
0: I'm a Jewish mother. We get to the bottom of everything, yes. okay? Yeah,
1: you're, well, you're absolutely right. Because you're right. So those thoughts were there in Costa Rica. Because you see, I was there when 12 to 15, starts kind of creeping up on you. And then moving to Dallas was kind of like a reset. You know, it was such a culture shock to move to uh, this English-speaking country, Dallas, takes a high school of like 3,000 people. I just, it put my focus on something else, you know? And so, like, you know, these things end up creeping up to you. So while other kids were busy being freshmen sophomores, I was busy trying to, you know, you come in from another country, they think you're, you'll never get anywhere. And so they, the counselors put you in like, like mm-hmm. bad classes. You know, I was like, Eighth, ninth grade class, I think. And then you have to learn English and push yourself because no one has you back. The counselor is gonna to have you to back. And then I moved to uh, uh, Chicago, and then there I got to kind of rebrand myself, you know, way. and now I speak English. You know, now I'm normal like everyone else. So now I want to be finished high school better than everyone else. And so that gave me that opportunity. And then like I mentioned before, you have this kind of God, please help me. Why do I like this? But people have to understand these were the mid-90s, like... Like even Ellen DeGeneres yeah. and Rosie were not out. Right, Roland was out. Like there was right. no gay person besides a hairdresser that's really loud. You know, right, right, you which is know. why there's
0: like that only stereotype at that time of how a can gay I be
1: an that and be that? I cannot be both. But that right. sounds ridiculous right now. But that's how the world was. You know. I
0: understand. Yeah. And so, how did you meet your husband? How did you meet? Because you said, was it you've been together a long time? Yeah.
1: I. Like, 16, 17
0: years?
1: Yeah. So he's 16, okay. he's Dutch. And he moved to the U.S. by four models. And he was for a little bit in Chicago. That's how we met.
0: Amazing. So I love it. Like a model and a doctor. It's like the perfect the <laughs> model, a doctor and twins. It's like the game <laughs> of life in modern day. Right now, in a...
1: There you go. I said, look, dude, if you come with me to Dallas, Texas, I promise you we're going to be New York... LA or Miami because the least I could do to be able to choose where I want to pack it. I was so naive.
0: Of course. Okay. So, and, and you were not out with your family when you met him? No. Amazing. I mean, I could do a whole separate episode one day. on like what that was like for your relationship, but I will spare you that question right now. Okay. <laughs> so I'm curious in terms of the fertility piece, I think there's such a different expectation when you're a same-sex marriage versus a heterosexual marriage, right? Because most of the time, and this is a big generalization, if you're in a same sex marriage, you know that if you want to have children, you need help. And if you're in a heterosexual relationship, you know that if you want to have children, it's the most natural thing you can do and you don't need anything. And so you're like morbid or more resentful, understandably. Do you find that and how did you sort of approach when you needed help? And then I'd also love to just get into how you found your people
1: to help you create your family. Yes. yes. So you're absolutely right. There, there is there's I mean it's nowhere out there that if you're a woman and that's how I guess people, at least women used to be told that if you touch a boy, you're gonna get pregnant. And that's a lie. But I, I do think that young people have a lot of sex and they're very fertile and eventually they'll get pregnant. But also will to patients, listen, you just never get what you want. When you don't want to get pregnant, you get pregnant. And when you really want to get pregnant, you don't get pregnant. And so that's just a fact of life, you know, and and the world has changed so much where women are not supposed to be having babies at 22 or 24 anymore or 18. They're supposed to work on their passions and their careers and be independent. And so we all kind of get through that comfortable 20 hour lives now our 30 usually and but that then goes in reverse with the fertility journey and so the more you're gonna plan your life the more type a you are and the more you're gonna expect your body to respond you want it to respond at that age and you're made in late 30 and age is one because even because that like having wrinkles or gray hairs you know like fertility is it, like it's just lower at that age and so so I do think there's just it's multiple layers of emotions in there. When you think of yourself in a marriage, you know, how you think of your spouse, in a relationship where you're going to blame each other. Maybe someone has had a baby before. And in, in sense of failure, you Taipei, hey, you've never really failed before. Now you haven't gotten pregnant. Everyone's asking you. So there's a lot of things that people, single people, people in same-sex relationships haven't had to go through, but everyone has had their story, right? Like you were just saying, like, you're married, right? I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm married, but what you don't know is that when my kids were going to be born, I wanted an extra layer of security so there would be an issue that those are my children, and I couldn't get married. I had to fly to San Francisco to get married and wing it that we may have some value in Texas, right? So we all have, and the person who's single, imagine all the things that go through those people's minds. Like if people, if, if too well-accomplished, working people have a hard time determining when is a good time to have a child. When you're single, it's hard, you know, you have to have a show together. And so I think we all have different journeys and I think we all think that our problems are the worst, Uh, but at the end of the day, whatever comes easy, you have great hair, you know, you never worry about that, you know, like we're just born like that. But whatever we have to work hard for, it's what we really focus on and we really feel the most sensitive, but really, Appreciate once we kind of accomplished it. So, and I think that goes for everyone. But, but you can't compare a guy and a woman. I mean, women are at a different level, right? Us guys are such a small part of the process. Oh, it's <laughs> terrible. We're unsupported. unsupported. You know, yeah. like women are driving the ball. Know.
0: We know. We yeah, know. we know. I know.
1: Yeah, I'm married. You know. I get it. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> and so I do think. The pressure is huge, and at every single level for a woman, and and I think that's the bigger difference. So,
0: so when was it time for you together to start having a baby?
1: So, um, I never met a gay couple with kids at work mm-hmm. or outside of work. I mean, this is before Anderson Cooper and all these people, yeah. right? We obviously did not do it in my practice. Just, I, mean, I just shared. I mean, we did have single females and lesbian couples. And so I just have to do it on my own, you know, in the clinic and everything was just, let's see first, you know, let's find an egg donor. Obviously I hadn't done that for my patients before. So wait,
0: let me just stop you and figure out. So how did you decide egg donor versus surrogate versus gestational carrier? How did you decide? Because in my head, I would think if you're a man, you would go for a surrogate, which means it's their egg, right? In their body with one or both of your sperm so you but you chose to use an egg donor and do an actual retrieval and then put it in somebody else so you chose two different people
1: the, that you had to find the first thing you mentioned we almost never do it okay it's crazy to do that because if a woman is genetically related to her child it's very difficult to have lost strong enough that would force, the woman to be able to give up that child, or if I'm very sad that the parents want to keep the one don't want to keep the child, and to, uh, it could go either way. So that's traditional surrogacy. I don't think people do that. You know, I've done two cases similar to that. They were both gay gay couples, and at first, the sister of one of the guys came up as the egg donor. And for various reasons, they ended up, that wasn't the original plan, also carrying the pregnancy later on. Wow. These are non random women, They're like a sister, they are children, and it's just, it, 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 I topped it twice, you know, that's it. Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, social situations leave that people, I mean, people having just one option, that was their option. And so that's how it okay. happened. But everyone else, and I do surrogacy, people from China and Europe and many parts of the US, and every single time, get eggs from their wife or from an egg donor and then we use a surrogate who's not related. Now, surrogacy is extremely simple. I mean, any fertility doc- doctor can transfer an egg into the parent, female, or the surrogate. That's no different. It's socially that's so complicated and legally because you need to have a system of laws that say that the child that woman's going to have through her belly or vagina is not hers. And that is against everything we know in society, historically. So this is not available in Europe. Like you cannot pay someone to do this. Same thing in China. Now, egg donation, it's available in Europe, but it's very limited. The doctor picks your egg donor. You don't get to see a picture. Oh, wow. And, and here we are like, no, here are the pictures of the donor, children. Video phone,
0: sometimes. Yeah.
1: Video, entire family history, any physical characteristic, genetic testing, infectious disease testing, psychological screening. You know it all except her name. And so I want people to understand that this really varies from country to country and even within the U.S. In Texas, we've had, I mean, Texas has a bad reputation, but we've had amazing surrogacy laws for a long time. New York didn't even have good laws until it's a couple of years now,
0: I know. Right? Yeah.
1: In Louisiana, which is next to us, is for those that don't know, but uh, down south down there, uh, in Louisiana, it, it, you can't do it because if the baby comes out of you, it's yours. So he couldn't do surrogacy. I, I today had someone from Beirut email me a physician they could send a patient to do IVF and also with a surrogate. And I was like, you cannot have an international surrogate because yeah. whatever contract you draft in Texas or in the U.S. has zero value elsewhere. And so it's more about that. So mm-hmm. we found the egg donor through an agency, not, not through a clinic, through an agency. Mm-hmm. We have to go through mm-hmm. the process that everyone did. Initially, it was like something was missing. And so I took a break. And then we went back at it, and we find the perfect donor. You start searching by physical characteristics, and the physical is so important. But really, what clicked in were other things. But, yeah. but, but because you're searching like that, you're 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 not seeing as many profiles, I guess, and, and you may be missing what's really important. And so sure. uh, now, as a couple like us, it's very. You could say you could pick any type of surrogate, right? I mean, any type of donor. Donor. But if you needed an egg donor, you would assume that most patients would pick someone who looks like themselves. Right. That is not always the case. Right. Interesting. And it's so cool, right? And so, yeah. same thing. I've had uh, many uh, uh, same sex couples who pick sperm donor mainly, that is a completely different race than they are. And so again, you cannot predict. And I don't know if other people pick what they think is the better version of themselves, or who mm-hmm. they assume is who they would want to be or look like. Because we all envy someone. Like I have brown eyes, right? I love green and blue eyes. You know? Yes. yes. So it's and so I can see how that. But maybe also there are people who they, maybe they because I don't ask them. Maybe they focused on. Non physical characteristics, you know? So I think it's a, um, a very unique process. Yeah. Um, very personal, but at the yeah. end of the day, it's a big deal. It's an egg. The big deal is sperm, but it's just an egg and a sperm. And it's a, just an important, but small part of the process. And so I do think eventually you need to wrap it up, pick something, and move on. Sure.
0: So how many retrievals did you have to do
1: with your egg donor? Or yeah. the
0: eggs were already there. One.
1: You have to stim her. She wasn't the most egg-produced. She was 21. We got like 15 eggs, which if you're splitting in between two guys, it's not very good at all, right? Mm. But we got, I guess, enough embryos. I did something very unique at a time where I decided to uh, genetically test the embryos, uh, PGTA, PGS. So I was like, yeah. what can I do? What can science give me to lower any complications, any extra testing on this poor lady? And so it was that. And so that's what I did. And then also we wanted to put a boy and a girl. We used to put two embryos back in all the time. Not because we were so interested in the cuteness of a boy or girl twins, which obviously I wouldn't have it any other way right now. Of course. I got, I got a feeling we're going to get pregnant just with one. You know, that was the normal diet. Yep. And I wanted antenatal to know who was the biological father in case we wanted to have another gestational carrier carry for us for the mm-hmm. other horn, You know, biological man. Mm-hmm. So that's why we did it. And That's when we realized also, my lab realized that two of the best embryos we had were aneuploid, chromosomally abnormal. So that shows that young people make abnormal embryos and just how pretty they look at the microscope. It's not the entire story. doesn't mean
0: anything. Yes. doesn't mean everything. Yeah.
1: That's how we run into the case. And then for the surrogate, she had carried for someone in the clinic before. I got her name. I called her. We met her and her husband for a uh, brunch on a Saturday and just met like normal people. And in five minutes, you know, do you like that person or not? And if you do not like that person, it's never going to work, you know? Yeah, and so yeah. we were a match right away. And mm-hmm. it just flowed really, really easily. And do you
0: still have a relationship with her? Do you yes. kids have a relationship?
1: Molly, nice. yes. So Molly. she was a little bit far. Molly, yes. And so she had three kids. They were teenagers. They used to call us the owners. They're like, mommy, when do we get to be the owners? <laughs> the yeah. owners, yeah. I love that. Yeah. The owners, yeah. And the kids totally know about her. And you know, my kids know their entire story. They know that they, the papi is a fertility doctor. And we put embryos inside the uterus. And my daughter will grab this and show it. And she... I've seen beautiful. her. I've
0: seen her give a tour on Instagram of the uterus well, statue. Yes. Yeah.
1: Wrap- 5 million views. That girl she's showing Good, this, you know. Good
0: for her. <laughs> I love it.
1: She's six years old and they know that two guys cannot make a baby and you mm-hmm. just need help. And so they egg donor and a surrogate and they don't know the egg donor. They've seen pictures. Um, uh, and then when, what my kids know is that they were loved even before they existed. And that is the truth for any fertility patient. You know, that exactly. regardless of how you ended up building your family, you can go to those children, tell them how much you wanted them and how hard you fought. And a kid will never, ever judge. They just, as a child, you have to feel reassured that you're loved that you were always loved. And I think that's the beautiful story that we all have in common and that we have to tell our children. Kids do not care about the details. They just mm-hmm. don't care. When I share something, that's very personal. okay? Oh, my God. I've so. gotten
0: so many personal things out of you. This is the best. I
1: know. I mean, whatever helps other people. I mean, the thing is yes. that we all go through the same journey. So why not share each other's experiences and make help other people move so through their head? No reinvent the wheel every single time. I've told every single patient always if there's no anonymous anymore. Like, if you go do 23andMe and me Ancestry, a match will happen because maybe the donor didn't do it, but her sibling did. <laughs> there's a family tree within it. You can imagine that if you had a child or children through any type of egg donation or sperm donation, you're interested in the background of that donor. I mean, it's just, you see that coming to you all the time. But, you know, you said before, uns doctors are not very good patients. And so you find that in every profession. And so, uh, of course, I said that to people, but then here we went and got all tested because it's so cool. You have a child that was produced from... A person you don't know and you want to learn about them. I mean, you want to know about yourself. You imagine about people you don't know. And we match with her. So I'm an example of where that is not anonymous anymore. And and you uh, match with her
0: directly, directly with her?
1: It makes sense if you are a donor that you're gonna have even more of an interest than someone who has things. So That's if right. people who have nothing to learn have the curiosity, imagine people who know they have yeah. something. Yeah. We're going to do it more. So people, this is going to happen. And if you really want to keep it private, just don't do it. You know, anyhow, so she sent us the sweetest of messages. At first, she was little shocked and the sweetest of messages. And then we replied with what we felt. And she really appreciated it. And we left it. And frankly, this is all about the kids. And so when my children are old enough and they have an interest, the doors are open. And oh, obviously so we will know that because it's not our journey. It's not what my partner and I want. is what the kids need and want. And yeah. You don't want to overexpose them. You don't want to under, you know? So if they ever feel like that's something they want, uh, we have that opportunity. So in a, in a way, it worked really beautifully for us. You know I mean? It's interesting.
0: I love it. You've been amazing. Is there any mantra, cliche, saying, rule you live by, something that's like written out on your anywhere I guess,
1: that was, like my uncle said, I think it's a, our only role in life is to be happy and let other people be happy. Yeah. And having a family and children, it's, the species depends on that. So obviously that's ingrained in most of our brains. Different people have different ideas of what a family, family is and family size and how. And I just think we support people and encourage them to have their own journey and like i mentioned before strip away a lot of this societal nonsense you know and do what you do which is be very candid and expose it and put it out there so that a woman may be in the comfort of her own home and maybe not it's not able to talk to her partner about things or her ob or her family and she sees that there's a world out there and i think the more people see that the more they can off all, all that nonsense and just follow their own path and their own journey, and I do think that most people get what they want. Very few times they don't, or they have a harder time. But almost a hundred percent of the time, even in the worst cases where people haven't or not worked out with a baby or yet after a long time haven't had a baby, they never regret trying because I doing think,
0: everything that they could.
1: I think it's exactly regret. I have the medical tools to get you pregnant. That is a small part. You that's still right. need to have the mindset, the yes. desire, and the ability to move and that's where you come and people like you come. Yeah, you know?
0: That's right. And I say it takes a village to make a baby, not just raise a baby. So thank you for being part of that village for so many happy people. You've been so amazing.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Abby. Thank you so much. This has been great. Of course,
0: good. Talk to you soon. I just love him. One thing we didn't get to, which I had intended to get to, but we got onto so many other wonderful topics was what it's like for him to be a reproductive endocrinologist in Texas right now. And while we didn't get into that in this episode, I really encourage you to follow him on Instagram, which we'll link in the show notes because he even videos himself making phone calls for patients to get the care that they need if they can't get it in Texas because of the barbaric laws that are currently being observed in Texas. And just seeing him fight for his patients is something that I find so inspiring. I really wanted to hear from him what it's like to have to uphold these laws that he might not believe in. So I guess we'll have to do that in a part two. Couple reminders: if you love our show and I hope you do, please go ahead and give us a five star rating. You're welcome to review as well. If you have questions any week, you're welcome to DM me on Instagram at the Fertility Chick or email me hi at the fertilitychick.co. Also find me at InCircle Fertility or Abby Feeder on Instagram. If you or anyone you know is struggling through infertility, please remember you do not have to go through it alone. Grab a 30-minute consult with me. See if we can work together and maybe I can help lighten the load for you. Until next week, can't wait to see you again. Bye.